Welcome to the Conscious Clinician Podcast. We have honest conversations about the triumphs and challenges of pelvic health physical therapy. Each week, we bring you inspiration and practical tips to thrive in your work. And now, here's your hosts, Dr. Monica Stefanovich and Dr. Sammy Steele. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hey, Sammy. Hey, Monica. So today we wanted to talk about time management with our patients. You've probably been there. It's a long day. You're behind on notes. You're running late to see the next person. Maybe you were running late in the morning anyways, and it just feels like the whole day is slipping away from you and you're looking at your documentation queue at the end thinking, what happened here? And how am I going to dig myself out of this hole? So we found ourselves in this situation many a time. And Sammy and I have talked about what were some of our pitfalls that contributed to it? Because there are certain things we can do as providers to help this situation. And there are certain patient-related factors that we need to try to manage to help improve our own time management skills. And Once we wrote down all of the pitfalls, we stepped back and realized that we could categorize them using the seven habits of highly effective people. We're going to focus on the first three habits today, which are number one, be proactive. Number two, start with the end in mind. And number three, put first things first. So let's kick it off with number one be proactive. Back to that little example of you running late and having all the notes. When I've been in that situation, the number one thing is that I was not preparing my patient notes. And maybe I didn't think to do this for a while as a new grad. Maybe I was running late that day and I didn't have time to. But when I am proactive in reading over the last note or two, opening up the new note, putting in the basic information that I need there, the title, a couple ideas for what we'll do in the session, and start prepping my documentation, I am so much more effective not only in the session with the person, but also in documenting it afterwards. So this has been absolutely huge for me. I would 100% agree with that. Beyond just preparing your note and helping you to be more effective in your documentation, I think that being proactive in that way helps you also organize your thoughts and know what the low-hanging fruit is, so to speak. So when I'm sitting down in the morning and I'm opening up all my notes, not only am I trying to get my notes to be organized in an efficient way for me to document quickly, not just after the session, but also during But I'm also looking to see what is the low-hanging fruit for today? What do we need to work on the most? What is this patient's PT diagnosis? And what are a couple of ideas for things to work on for the day? That way, when I go into the session, if the patient's wanting to work on something that I don't really think is applicable to their condition or is going to take us down a rabbit hole, I might suggest one of the other things that I had in mind instead of letting the session derail. And I think that's a way to help us keep things moving in the right direction and provide really efficient treatment too. Right. Because we're segueing into the next point, which is start with the end in mind. 
you're thinking about this patient's goals, their mountain, back to episode two, the mountain metaphor, what summit are they trying to get to and what kind of path might take us there? right? And if we know that, then we're not going to go off to the lake for three visits to try to assess some other body part. We're going to say to them, listen, you're here for the pelvic floor. That knee or that foot issue is something we could address in a separate plan of care because it's really going to eat up the session to try to do both things. Now, when both things can be easily combined, I totally try to do that. However, I used to also try to, you know, sneak in shoulder treatment when we were talking about the pelvic floor. And then I'm spending 15 minutes answering their questions about the shoulder exercises and the shoulder Mm -hmm. pain. And I can't bill for that under their pelvic floor plan of care. So what am I really doing here? Although it's really caring and altruistic, it's not efficient for either of us. And we need to set that boundary with them to let them know, hey, we can address it, but maybe you need to see my colleague or maybe we need a separate plan of care. Or why don't we work on the pelvic floor for the first few visits? And once you feel stable and independent with that, then we can switch gears and focus on, let's say, the hip or the low back. It's not always that easy to separate body parts. So I also want to totally acknowledge that. But I ask myself, will this have similar treatments? And that's kind of the question that helps me determine whether to separate the cases or keep the cases. Because if I'm going to do the same type of hip strengthening and it's going to help their pelvic girdle and their knee, I'm going to tell them, sure, these overlap, it's helpful. And if the answer is like, no, I need to give completely different exercises and try to do bladder training versus like calf rehab. uh, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And you kind of, you tell yourself, oh no, you know, there's nerves that are related and tibial nerve stimulation. It's like, no, listen, (laughs) you're going to talk about completely different things. Yeah. Just figure out what works for you. Is it delaying sessions? Is it sending them videos or things they can do after the session? If you have the bandwidth and the time for that, sometimes I'll say, listen, let me send you a couple of basic exercises. You try them for a few weeks. If there's no improvement with these, then I think we need to start a separate plan of care. And people have really enjoyed that too. I love that you brought up boundaries. You said the word boundaries with this because that is such a huge pitfall for me as a new grad. I was like, oh my God, of course we can look at your foot real quick. Like, I I don't want you to be suffering with this foot pain, even though you're coming in here to see me for your pelvic floor. Like, let's take a look. And then it just led to a really disorganized session. We'd eat up so much time. I'd be running behind. And I have found that you're not doing the patient any favors. Like, that's such a way for us to feel like we are being the superhero, right? Oh, I'm going to take on all of this person's problems, but you're actually not doing them any favors because then their other treatment that they're actually seeking out from you is going to suffer. I think it's great to encourage them to seek out a separate plan of care or to give them some basic exercises to work on first. My common go-to is that I tell the patient, I really want to focus on what you're coming in for and give it the attention it deserves. If we try to split up our attention between two body parts, neither of them are going to get our full attention and we're not going to get anywhere. Sometimes I'll offer for them to start a second plan of care later. 
Sometimes I'll offer to do two concurrent plans of care if that will be something that their insurance would cover. So in that case, I'd say today is shoulder day, next appointment's pelvic floor day, and we're going to alternate or whatever the plan is. And that way it's like we've got a clear focus for the day. This is our focus for the session. And we're not trying to jump around too much and really get things off the rails and disorganized. I think that just goes back so clearly to boundaries because patients will kind of ask you whatever, and they're they're concerned about themselves and not about your time, and that's fine. You know, they're there to address a health concern, but we also have to be looking out for ourselves and our day and not let things get off the rails because it may not actually be that important for them to address that shoulder pain. Like maybe they're just asking a side question and you let it go off the rails because you think it's more important to them than it actually is. A hundred percent. Right? Like, I've had people ask those questions. They're like, eh, it's not bothering me that much, but I just, like, wanted to know. And then I'm realizing, oh, I probably didn't need to spend half of my session looking at their shoulder when they just had a quick little question about it. So, yeah. Anyway, I think that setting that boundary of keeping on task is so important because if we can't keep on task, if we can't see what their goals are clearly, what exactly we need to work on that day, we're going to be floundering around and wasting our time. Yep. And I think that's point number three from highly effective people right there. Put first things first. Listen, let's start with blank chief complaint that you came that we did the eval for. And if we have time, I will spend the five minutes with you. You know, this isn't about not caring for your patients. This is about finding that sweet spot where both of you win, which is actually habit number four of highly effective people is look for the win-win situation. So we want them to feel like we care. We also want to feel like we are not throwing our time and energy at something and not seeing meaningful change. Because when we divert our attention and we're just chasing random pains all over and we're not focused, they don't see progress. They get frustrated. We don't see progress. We get frustrated. And that makes you feel like you're inefficient. Often I would feel like maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I am an imposter because they're not Mm, getting better. And it took me having someone review my case for me to say, hey, listen, I'm struggling with this knee patient. Can we talk about it? And I remember my manager at the time asked me a series of questions and he's like, it sounds like you're on the right track, but you haven't stuck with any one plan long enough to see the change because you're following every minute change that they report. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, I felt it in my calf today. And some of this comes back to listening to our patients reading between the lines, understanding where their fear avoidance or their pain catastrophizing is coming in so that we can address those perhaps through education and counseling rather than I'm going to assess every single minute sensation that you feel because we're not putting first things first and we're not starting with the end in mind in that case. Oh my gosh, this reminds me so much of my brand new grad self too. I have so been there. I think that so much of this ties into imposter syndrome for me, which is to say that if I feel that I am not offering enough to the patient, I'm an imposter, I'm not giving them the correct treatment, I'm so much more inclined to abandon my initial plan of care in favor of the next new shiny thing. Because what if the next thing works, right? Like, 
okay, well, I must be wrong. I must be incorrect in my treatment plan that I've already developed. Let's just go to the next thing in the next session. And I'm literally creating a new plan every single session, which is ridiculous. Like it doesn't give the treatment a chance to work, first of all. So you're actually shooting yourself in the foot and creating that reality for yourself. But also it's so exhausting, right? It's so tiring to have to think that hard. You're basically doing an eval every single time you see the patient and you're not doing it effectively. So it's reinforcing that imposter syndrome because you really aren't being effective. So that was a loop that I was so stuck in. And of course, if you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater every single time, you're also going to run behind. Because if you're doing an eval every single session with every single patient and creating an entirely new plan and giving them all new exercises because you think that the stuff that you gave them last time was no good and you have to redo everything, the patient's going to be confused. Like, what are my exercises? Wait, what do you want me to do? Wait, am I still doing that one that we went over last time or is that one gone now? And they're having to learn a whole new set of exercises and interventions every single session And as we all know, patients take several sessions to really assimilate things and get exercise form correct and really understand the rationale for behavioral interventions, things like that. So we need to have repetition. We need to stick with things for a little longer. And that's a huge part of time management for me is just not trying to introduce a bunch of new things every single time. My residency director in residency last year told me, don't introduce more than one new thing each time. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> wait a second. You mean that I don't have to do five new things each time? That was a huge game changer. Like, it's funny to look back on. Now it makes me laugh. But at the time I was like, are you serious? They're going to think I'm a fraud if I don't give them a bunch of new things each time. And she was like, right. don't do it. Like, just give them one new thing. <laughs> and that really, really helped me. So now I, I hear her voice echoing in my head frequently. And I think that's important to say for pelvic PTs especially because we are asking people to usually make major behavioral changes in order to see an improvement in their pelvic floor symptoms. So for your ortho patients, you may feel that progressing them every single week is appropriate. Their exercises are now easy. They've got it. They're on to the next thing. Let's do it. But when you're working with someone who whose sleep is impaired and they're anxious and peeing all the time. And then they just in case pee on top of that. And they also have some symptoms of dyspareunia. You got to realize we got to back up and do one thing well and do it really well. And then we can add the next thing because our brain as a PT will see all of the different things we could work on. So you need to start developing some type of structure for putting first things first, asking yourself, what are the low hanging fruit? If you have absolutely no idea, that's a great time to talk to a mentor. That's a great time to look at the evidence and say, okay, what is the first thing we can start with? And the more you ask for those resources, the more you'll build your confidence. So remember with imposter syndrome, we usually don't ask for the help that we need. Mm-hmm. It's going to be scary. You're going to feel nervous, but I promise you anyone who you look up to in the field has been at a point where they don't know what to do and they're still having those points, but they're getting better at identifying them faster and asking for the help so that they can put first things first. And 
that's habit number one again there is be proactive. If you're not sure and you're completely lost, having that PT colleague or friend, mentor, online groups, there's a lot of those that you can talk through is really important. Personally, I like a one-to-one type of feedback. I prefer really talking about the case with maybe one person or maybe two people so that I can really dive into it. I feel that I have learned best from that versus the times that I've posted in like Facebook groups. And that's not to say they don't work, but I think consider, you know, are you looking for general information about how do I overall treat or are you really trying to get into the nitty gritty of one patient and what's going on with them. And if it's one patient, I really like that more detailed series of questions that you can get to. You'll probably need someone a little more senior, someone who has developed metacognition, which is a skill all of us as new PTs have to learn. And that's thinking about the way we think. <laughs> because yeah. you're, you're going to say, what's the answer, right? You're, you're still going to be like, what's the right thing I do with them? And you need someone to help you step back and say, okay, well, why did you pick that? And then how come you progress them? And what are these other factors like? And have you considered those? And you can even journal about that. That could even be super helpful is to write down, what am I uncertain about with this patient? What am I struggling with? What hasn't gotten better? And then think, okay, if this was somebody else, what other questions would I have for them? And you can start to develop that skill. But that skill is so important in helping put first things first, helping you be proactive, really all of these highly effective skills that we're talking about. It's so interesting talking about this idea of time management because In the past, when I've been thinking about my time management, as a student especially, that was one of my biggest critiques from clinical instructors and during residency is that I was always running behind. And there's always this feeling when you're in that situation of like, I just got to end on time. Why can't I just end on time? What's wrong with me, right? And it seems so simple. And I think what I'm hearing throughout all of this discussion today, including what you just mentioned, is that we really need to take a hard look at what factors are causing us to run behind. Because it's not as simple as like, oh, I'm just running late all the time. Like, it's so easy to just say, oh, I'm not paying attention to the time enough, or I'm disorganized or whatever. There's so many different factors at play, your feelings of expertise in a subject, right? Like your feelings of imposter syndrome, your lack of knowledge about a particular patient making you feel confused and not addressing the low-hanging fruit or having an efficient plan of care. So it's not enough to just be like, oh, I need to be on time. That was always my solution is like, just try harder. And I think when I was able to take a step back and be like, oh, well, I'm running behind because I don't feel confident in my skills because I have imposter syndrome and it's causing me to do these things that are actually backfiring on me and I'm making it harder on myself. The moment that I realized that, I was able to manage my time. I didn't have to try that hard because I was like, oh, I'll just try this one new thing and progress them slowly or review what we went over last time. And lo and behold, the patient's getting better. I'm feeling better. And I'm able to see the next patient at their scheduled appointment time. So I think time management is is so much more complex than we give it credit for. I guess that's my, my takeaway here. Oh, another thing I hear in your reflection, Sammy, is that you developed more compassion for yourself. Oh, for sure. 
rather than driving yourself, try harder, try harder, I'm always failing, try harder. If you're stuck in that loop, it is a wake up call that it is not about your level of effort. It is about assessing what's going on. And here's a few considerations with that. If you're always struggling with time management and forgetting things and having issues setting up routines or workflows that work for you, I'm not diagnosing anyone, but I am saying it's important for us to know whether there is something like anxiety, depression, ADHD at play. That is going to help you have compassion. That is going to help you get the tools that will really help you. And so if you've tried all the basic time management hacks and they're not working, um, it's not you. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. It's, yeah. it's not your yeah. level of effort. It yeah. is that those things aren't addressing the primary driver, just like with our patients. So, you know, there's no shame in working with a therapist or figuring out that medication is helpful for you or learning other skills and tool sets to help you function. I just want to make that really clear because some conditions present differently in women. And we do have so many women PTs as well. Mm. Like we're learning a lot more about how ADHD shows up in women and how that may affect us in the workplace. So I want to put that out there as a big disclaimer. Now, you may know that that is not the issue. And that's great if that's not it. Then you got to ask yourself, where am I losing time in my sessions? And hopefully the topics we just covered help you go through them and say, okay, am I being proactive? Am I starting with the end in mind? Am I putting first things first? And if you just ask yourself one of those three questions for the next few weeks, I know that you'll start to see some change. Either you're going to learn something about yourself and say, oh, okay, (laughs) I actually can't do that because of X, Y, and Z. Let me address those factors. Or you'll start to see an improvement in your time management, which is going to build up your confidence. And once you get really good at that one question, like the be proactive, then you can move on to the next ones. Or you pick whichever question feels most relevant to you and have more of an intuitive approach. So if that is hard for you, and it may be, that's where having another person to talk to is so important. Someone who does manage their time who is in a field similar to yours. I'll share this just as an aside. I used to always ask ortho PTs who were on top of their notes how they were on top of their notes so much. And then I realized we're not speaking the same language to the same people. Mm. Like we are not, and no shade on ortho or those people. It's just they weren't looking at the psychosocial factors in the way that I was looking at them. And I bet it's probably because we're treating very different types of patients. Me seeing chronic pelvic pain versus you seeing acute orthopedic, young people with injuries, young athletes, we're going to have very different conversations and very different patient-related factors that affect our management. And Overall, they overlap 100%, like the things they do and the things I do, but my patients were showing up with a level of complexity that these people had sprinkled throughout their day. And for me, it was every single patient back to back in this clinic. So 
their tips didn't work for me and I beat myself up for a while. And that's where understanding all of the factors, the environment, the patients you work with, the way you work and what you need to be successful is so important in answering this question because I bet it's not that you don't care about time management. I bet that there are a combination of these factors at play for you. And it will take some time to figure out which ones are most important, but anything that you try is information for you. So if you've tried something and it failed, that is also information about what didn't work for you. Absolutely. So in terms of a couple of other habits that have really been helpful to me in terms of managing my time, going back to boundary setting with patients, I have started to become really clear with my patients about how much time that we have. And I am bringing it up a fair bit. For example, if I have a patient who I know is really chatty and they tend to run long in those sessions with all their questions or they just have trouble getting out the door on time, I am bringing it up as we walk back, like, okay, so we've got 40 minutes to work together today. And what sorts of things do you think are most important? I had some ideas, but I also wanted to hear if you had any exercises you wanted to review, etc. I'm bringing that up right out of the gate. And then oftentimes, if there's something that they want to do that maybe I feel is a little off topic, or they have so many things that they want to do in the session that I don't think we can fit them all in. I'll say something like, okay, well, we do have 40 minutes for our session today. I think we'll be able to tackle one of those things. Which one feels more important to you? Or I'll recommend, you know, I think this one might be more effective for your condition if I really think that one of them is going to be more important. And I will say Mm -hmm. that to them and frame it in the context of we have limited time. We got to make the best use of it possible. And then if you have that person with just those endless questions, I do have a couple people on my caseload right now who just have a lot of questions and that's not a bad thing, but they're kind of missing those social signals of when it's time to wrap up and they're continuing and continuing. I'll just say, you know, we don't have time for that today, but I would love for you to bring those back next time. And I'll put it on them. I used to in the past say, oh, I'm going to write it down and address it next time. And I was realizing that for some people, they didn't really care about the answer that much and they would even forget that they had the question. And so to me, if it's so important to them to get that question answered, they'll bring it back with them next time. So I put it on them to say, bring it up at the beginning of next session. We'll go through it then when we have more time and I can answer you more thoroughly. So time is a word that's coming out of my mouth pretty frequently at this point in time with my practice. And I think that that's helped with those specific people that I struggle to get out the door on time. In addition, I think that reframing time in my mind, the concept of time has really helped me in that every minute that I run late with a patient and I don't finish their note, that's time that I have to spend outside of work, at home, on my personal time documenting. And sometimes that's okay with me, actually. Let's say that there's somebody who comes in as a new eval and I really think that that extra five minutes I spend with them is going to greatly benefit them and, and help to answer a couple of questions that I think are important. You know what? Okay, fine. I'm, I'm okay with spending a little bit of my personal time on that. But there are some patients who I don't feel willing to do that with, or I think that it can wait. And so I start to do that math in my head of how much of this am I okay with? And that has really helped to motivate me to stay on track as well, because in the past, if I've had this difficulty upholding that boundary, 
I wasn't realizing that I was the one paying for it. And now that Mm. I know I'm the one paying for it, I'm like, "Mm, not willing to pay that price. So we're going to end on time. (laughs) You know, so it's just, (laughs) it's easier when I frame it in that way and set that boundary for myself because I know what the cost is at this point. Right. You've seen what didn't work and now you're being proactive about it. You're starting with the end in mind. You want to be on time. You want to have all your notes done at the end of the day. You want to go home and enjoy your husband and your DIY house projects. And (laughs) you're putting first things first. You know, you're doing the first three habits and it sounds like doing them repetitively and building new habits for you that work well. So hopefully this episode sparks a lot of self-reflection that you don't have to do all of these things. You can do some of them. Some of it we're giving you permission. Not that it's ours to give, but it has been so helpful in my career when someone said, it's all right to do blank. You know, it's all right to end your session five minutes early. It's all right to not treat everything in one session It's all right to have your boundaries and to uphold them with people. So we hope that this one is helpful. Thank you so much for listening in. As usual, stay conscious, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going on Instagram at The Conscious Clinician and Facebook backslash The Conscious Clinician. Links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast to grow our community. Stay conscious, everyone.